but we're going to listen to the Word of God opened and brought to us by Valter. Uh, we're starting our series on Revelation, and so I'm going to hand over to him. Valter, we love you and we welcome you. Uh, let's have our hearts open, shall we? Thank you so much. I'm just going to go and dive straight in. I wonder what your favourite book is. Mine, usually on holiday, aggression. I love the suspense, the mystery, the way that it builds up. When I get halfway through, I usually get a little bit tempted just to flick through to the last chapter of the book to see how it all ends. You see, Grisham has got this way of, in a few pages, pulling together the whole plot. And when I'm reading it, I can't quite make sense of it. When I'm right in the thick of it, the characters, the plot, the way it's been building, I don't quite understand until you get to the last few pages. And all of a sudden, it makes sense. Now, isn't that what life often is like? We look in the back mirror of life and we think, oh yes, I think I can see what God was up to at that moment in my life. But when we're in the thick of things, we usually can't work it out. Now, we have come to the book of Revelation, a new preaching series. And Revelation is very much the last chapter of the Bible. And when you get to the last chapter of the Bible, it's all coming together. The whole plot, it all makes sense. Now, when you read Revelation, the whole of the Bible and the whole of history culminates together in one. It's a beautiful picture. And when we get to that last chapter, it all makes sense. It helps us to make sense of every day and all the things that are happening when we're in the thicker things and we can't work it out. When we see the end picture, it all makes sense. And that's why we've called this new preaching series, Revelation, a new way of seeing Jesus. A new way of seeing Jesus in the midst of the circumstances and in the midst of life. Now imagine, 60 years have gone by. The disciples had heard Jesus say when he went to heaven, I'll be coming back soon. And 60 years later, he's still not there. But in the meantime, persecution has taken place. Under Emperor Nero and the big fire of Rome, we can see that the Christians are blamed and persecution starts in Rome. And then under Emperor Domitian, we can see that things get really vile and really hot. The Christians are persecuted and put to death. And we can see that people are shocked, shocked to the core. Now, some are standing strong and they will become the famous martyrs of history. Others are starting to fall away. Some are killed. We can see that some just give in. We can see that others are trying to make compromises. Some just become lukewarm or even spiritually dead. And in the midst of this season, John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, who is the most likely author of the book of Revelation, receives a revelation from Jesus when God pulls back the curtain of time to show him how it's all going to end so they can make sense of what's happening now. And John loves the churches that he's been serving in his time when he's been in Ephesus and around. And he is going to write to these churches to reassure them that Jesus is still on the throne and that God still reigns. Now, when we get to the book of Revelation, it will provoke all sorts of different reactions. For some people, you think, oh, finally, I've been waiting for this all my life. Finally, a preaching series on Revelation. Other people will go, well, I'm quite happy with the book of Revelation where it sits at the end of my Bible. And you've never just quite gotten to it. Well, the book of Revelation is not that scary. It's actually a very great book. And it's got full, uh, a whole range of promises and truths that we can take in. 
Now, one author writes it like this. He says, revelation is powerful. It's difficult. It's perplexing. It's colorful. It's suspenseful. It's tragic. And it's amazing. It's like a raging river, a bloody battle, an enticing mystery, and a breathtaking wedding rolled all together in once. And that really is what the book of Revelation is like. Now, to understand the book of Revelation well, we need to get a few clues together. And we can read those in the first few verses of the book. So if you turn there, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what might soon take place, what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. And that is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart, what is written in it, because the time is near. Now this forces from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. So what we can see here, that Revelation is first of all a letter. A letter from John to the seven churches in Asia, the churches that he loves and he's been carrying for before. And it's a, a letter written to a specific people from a specific author in a specific time. Therefore, to understand the book of Revelation, we need to understand a bit of the history, something that I've explained to you a little bit earlier on. Now, what we can see, because it's a specific letter and written to specific people, it has a specific message to encourage them. And we can only understand what it has to say to us now when we understand what it had to say back then to the people who lived then. It can't mean something to us that it didn't mean to them. Therefore, we've got to be a little bit careful how we approach Revelation, a little bit humble to make sure that we read it in light of its original context. Now, the second thing is that the Revelation is not just a letter, it's a prophetic letter. And a prophetic letter means that it's writing about things to happen in the future so we can make sense of it. Now, it's not given to us so we can work out what the time map exactly is. It's written to us to be able to understand it and help us to shape our lives in the presence. One commentator writes like this, he says, God gave us revelation not to tickle our fancy, but to strengthen our hearts. And that's very much so. Now, the way that prophecy works in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is, is a little bit messy. It's hard to really get your head around. It's a little bit like you're, you're looking out over a big landscape. It's almost like you're looking out over a mountain range. And as you see it from a distance, you can't quite work out which mountain is closest by, which one is highest, which, which, which one is miles away, which one's a little bit closer by. You can't quite work it out. It's like the picture merges together in one. Now, this is very much true for prophecy in the Bible. It has lots of promises, lots of truths, but you can't always work out what's going to happen first, the order of things. It's not written that way. It helps us to see the whole picture. Now, the book of Revelation is also the final book of the Bible, and it's the final prophecy of the Bible. Therefore, we need to understand it in light of all the other prophecies in the Bible. We can see, for example, in the book of Daniel, Ezekiel, and Zechariah, very much a similar language of what this prophecy is all about. John uses similar, similar ideas and pictures, and therefore he's explaining how Jesus fulfills the pictures and the prophecies of the Old Testament. Now, when we read through, we can also see that Revelation is an apocalyptic prophetic 
letter. Now that's quite a mouthful, but apocalyptic means that it's written in a specific genre, in a specific way. It's full of symbols and, 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 and slightly bizarre pictures. It's like a fantasy story, a bit like you enter into the world of Narnia or the Lord of the Rings. You enter into it, you see what's happening, and you take the message back to your own life and you apply it. So therefore, we've got to be a little bit careful how we interpret the symbols. Now, John often gives us clues about what different symbols means, but we mustn't go into all the details and work out all the little bits. We need to see it in light of the big picture. Now, before we dive in further, let me just give you a big picture of what Revelation is all about. We can read first about seven letters to seven different churches, different messages and challenges that Jesus has given to each of the churches. Then we can see four cycles of seven. First, we can see seven seals. Then we can see seven trumpets. Then we can see seven signs and then seven bowls. And what these cycles of seven do is they show us the whole history of time from when Jesus died to when he returns from four different angles. A bit like you would be watching a goal on television being replayed four times from different angles. We can make sense of it all and see how the whole history fits together through these lenses. Then we can see the final judgment. We can see that Jesus does away with sin for good. Then we can see the final victory where Jesus overcomes Satan and his demons forever. And then we can see the final city where God comes to live with his people and wipes away every tear from every eye. It's a wonderful picture. And that will help us to understand where we start right at the beginning. Now, rather than a full picture of everything that's going to happen and how it will all be okay, John receives a revelation of Jesus himself. And I love it. When we are in the midst and the thick of things, we need to first of all look to Jesus. I don't know about you, but coming back from holiday, I've been thrown into all sorts of challenges all at the same time. And it's so easy for me to try and look away from them, to look somewhere else, to just find a little bit of distraction, a bit of relief. And that's okay, but usually what happens when we distract ourselves, we come back to the same challenges and nothing's changed. The challenges are still there. It makes us anxious, so therefore we try to turn away from it again. But what happens when we lift our eyes to Jesus is that we turn away from the problems like John turned away and he looked to Jesus. And at that moment, when we see Jesus for who he is, our perspective starts to change. When we look away and we look to Jesus, we find that our hearts are transformed. So when we look back at the challenges that we face, we look at it with different eyes. And that's why it's so important for us to regularly spend time to look to Jesus. At the start of each day, I try to spend time with Jesus just to look away from things, not to get away from it, but, but to bring it to Jesus and to ask him to change my perspective. And when I look to Jesus and see his greatness, when I read in scripture about his glory, when I pray and hand these things to God, my perspective starts to change. I find an inner rest that changes me. And then when I come to lunchtime, I, I try to take some time just to, after a busy morning, give things back to God again. At the end of the day, I give all the things I haven't been able to do back to Jesus again. In the evening, when I go to bed, I seek Jesus to give again the day back to him. These cycles, these moments, these rhythms of life to seek Jesus and to look to him really keep me afresh. Now, over this last season, I found it so easy to look to other things. And at times I had to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm sorry, I've not been looking to you. And I want to draw fresh to you again. And perhaps you're in the thick of things too. Perhaps there's all sorts of things kicking off around you. Perhaps your work, your finances, 
this COVID season has been so challenging, so many different things thrown at us. It's very easy to feel, feel fearful and, and just uh, bombarded with challenges. I want to encourage you in this season. Look up to Jesus. Let him fill your heart and your mind. And I, I promise you that your perspective will be changed when you look back at things. Give your life into his hands. He wants to show you a picture of himself to help you through every day. The image that John sees of Jesus is so beautiful, so glorious. It's packed full of symbolism and truth. Let me just dig a few of them out. First of all, we can see that he turns around and sees one walking amongst the golden lampstands. That means Jesus walking amongst the churches. Now we can see he's like the son of man. Now, this is the picture that comes from the book of Daniel, where Jesus now is being shown that he's the fulfillment of that promise. The one who would come, who would bring all the kingdoms of the world to an end, who would reign forever. That person is Jesus, the son of man. He was born of man, but the son of God. Then we can see that he's dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. Jesus is our high priest. He represents us to God. He has died in our place, made the ultimate sacrifice so the curtain has been torn in two and we can come freely into God's presence. We can see that he is the one who's got hair on his head, white like wool, as white as snow and eyes will at blazing fire. This shows us another image from Daniel, from the Ancient of Days, that refers to God the Father. But we can see that the same power, divinity and wisdom and purity that dwells in the Father, dwells in Jesus. We can see that his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. He's strong and pure. His voice were like the sound of rushing waters. He's full of authority. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. He speaks truth and brings judgment for the things that are not right, the sins um, that fill this world. It says his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. He is like the presence of God himself. And this is so beautiful. Now, one of the images I would like to highlight, just to help us to understand what Jesus is like. We see this beautiful picture of Jesus in all his glory and splendor. And it says that he walks among the lampstands and holds the golden stars in his hands. Now, this is symbolism that John explains later on in the chapter. But the lampstands are the churches and the stars on the angels of the seven churches. And this is Jesus portrayed as the one who walks among the churches and who holds the angels that represent the churches in his hands. And this means that Jesus is with us right now. Jesus walks amongst the churches. His presence is with the churches. They are not alone. He is with you in your living room right now. He's with us in this Zoom call right now. Jesus walks amongst us and he knows us. And says he holds the stars in his hands. Now that means that he holds you and me in his hands. He, he holds the church in his hands. I find that such a, a wonderful, relieving picture tonight that Jesus holds life church in his hands. But it also says that our names are written on his hands. The same hands that were pierced through when he died on the cross, these same hands hold us. When he carried our sins, he, he has written our names into his life, into his hands. So you may know that he holds you. I don't know what you're going through at the moment. It may not feel like it, but you need to know that Jesus is holding you in his hands. You will not fall away. He will hold you closely. One of the things I love to do in the morning when I seek 
uh, God's presence is like, I lay myself down on the floor and I just imagine myself laying in Jesus' hands. This is the truth that the Bible says, I'm, I'm resting in his hands. I'm learning not to be anxious. I'm learning to be present with Jesus, saying, I'm, I'm trusting you. I'm not, I don't need to fight for myself. I don't need to make a way. Whatever's going happening in your life, uh, financially, health-wise, family-wise, you need to know that your life is in Jesus' hands. When John sees Jesus, he is just terrified. He falls down and says, he fell down, as though dead. I mean, John sees the greatness of Jesus and he just falls at his feet in awe. And the beautiful picture is not that Jesus comes to him and says, yeah, you should be afraid. No, he comes to John, places his hand on him and says, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I don't know about you, but when I come to Jesus, sometimes when I've had had some good days, I feel okay drawing close. I'm okay, I can come near to Jesus. And then other days I've not done so great. I feel like, no, I'm not worthy to come close to Jesus. I kind of stay away. Well, this picture shows us that there is nothing that will qualify us to come close to Jesus. His greatness, I mean, well, we will fall down as though did naturally. But it's because of Jesus' mercy that he reaches out to us. He says, fear not, come close. It's because of Jesus that we can draw close to God. It's because of the high priest that has gone before us that we may draw close to God. When Jesus died on the cross, he says the curtain of the temple was torn in two so everyone could come and enter into the holiest of holies, the presence of God. And this is so true for us. We don't need to have a good day to come close to God. We don't have to stay away when we have a bad day. We don't have to be fearful. We may draw close to God because of Jesus, because he is our high priest. It says in Hebrews 4 verse 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus is your confidence and your mercy and your grace in time of need. You don't have to be fearful for God. You don't have to stay away. We can draw close and he wants to be with us. And it's in that place of being in awe of Jesus that our other fears will start to melt. The world is so full of fears, so full of fears about health and finances and what might happen. Well, all these fears will melt away when we see Jesus for who he is. What we can see is John writing to the early church saying, you are facing problems every day. You could lose your life tomorrow because you follow Jesus. But look to Jesus. Lift your eyes to him. You are held in his hands and you may draw close with confidence, knowing that you do not have to be afraid. You do not have to be afraid of God. You do not have to be afraid of your circumstances. He is for you. He is with you. And this is such wonderful truth. This is where we can learn how to relax into God's presence. We do not have to fear. Now, I don't know about you, but our bodies usually tell us when we are starting to get anxious and fearful. So many things happening around us that could make us anxious and fearful. But when we are coming in God's presence, we can relax. We can be with him. We do not have to be fearful. And we can surrender our lives to him. Now, as soon as I start to fight myself going anxious and worried, perhaps can't sleep or I feel my shoulders tightening up or, or frequent headaches coming up, I know something's a little bit off. 
I, I need that fresh encounter with Jesus to come into his presence and let him lift my eyes so I can learn how to rest in him. And I want to encourage you to do the same. Why don't we do that now together? Maybe just stretch out your hands, take a deep breath, and just relax. Thank you, Jesus, that our lives are in your hands. Thank you that you know us intimately, that we do not have to fear. We want to look up to you in this season and give you all the things that we may struggle with. I want to encourage you, just place the things, just imagine them in your hands that you're worried about and anxious about, and place them in Jesus' hands. Give it to him. And then may you know that you are held in his hands. May you know that he is for you, that he is with you, and he goes everywhere you go. You do not have to fear. You're in his presence. Amen. Right, we'll finish it there, and I'll hand back. Wonderful. Thank you, Velta. Don't you feel uh, hopefully uplifted, but also uh, blown away? I know I do. I think when you read that first chapter, we look at this vision that John has of Jesus. He's awesome in the right sense of the word. He's awesome. And, uh, and actually, as Valter says, Jesus lays his hand on and John and says, fear not. And there's an invitation. If you don't know Jesus, the awesome King of Kings, the first and the last, is what he says of himself. He is the Lord of all. We get to approach him. We can become part of his family. He invites us in. And he can say to you, laying his hand on your shoulder, fear not. Um, so let us draw near. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the cornerstone. We thank you that you are mighty and awesome and clothed with power. You are the Lord. You are high and lifted up. You're, you're adored and praised. Um, Lord, I thank you that this is the reality. It's not just a funny daydream or a wonderful story or a nice fairy tale. Lord, you're the King of Kings and you're enthroned in heaven. And Jesus, we give you all the glory. We give you our, our hang-ups. We give you our anxieties. We give you our fears and we choose to delight in you. And thank you for your faithfulness, for bringing us into your family. Lord Jesus, we love you. Amen.